So good to see all of you in our Zoom Zendo. And I am going to, at least for tonight, continue with what I've been doing uh, for the last several uh, times that I've talked, which is to uh, turn our attention to the great teaching of our ancestor Dogen Zenji, the Genjo Kawan. Uh, I don't know if I'll do it through the whole Genjo Kawan. It's pretty long, but this next section is actually one of my favorite sections in all of the Buddha Dharma. And I actually think you could study just this and nothing else for your whole life. And Jean's nodding and you'd be in fine hands. Uh, we don't really in Zen uh, often have steps or stages. You know, the instruction is just sit um, and think non-thinking. But in this section, Dogen gives us five steps. And you could take each of these steps, which I will talk about this evening, and you could study one of these steps like for years. I've done this and it's magnificent practice. And at the same time, it's also one seamless teaching. So it's not like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, uh, though beautifully so, he does lay it out uh, in a sequence. And so um, let me go ahead and say the words. Uh, for some of you, these might be uh, familiar and beloved. And for others of you, it may be new. And either way, um, here we go. So the section we've, we've arrived at in the Genjo Koan is to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by the myriad things. When actualized by the myriad things, body and mind of self and other drops away. No trace remains, and this no trace continues endlessly. That is the section. So um, I just want to go ahead and um, offer some comments, my own, and I'm also um, dip, dipping into some books that I have, particularly Shohaku Okamura and uh, Kosho Uchiyami, uh, two great uh, 20th, 21st century um, teachers of Japanese origin. So this first line, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. Now, of course, you know, we say there is no self. And yet at the same time, we show up in the world as selves. And so it's so important that we understand this construct that we make, that we use to have an identity because this is the world that we live in. And if we try to leapfrog out of that and say, well, there's no self, so I don't have to worry about the self, we're gonna get in a lot of trouble because these selves that we supposedly don't have are really attached to a lot of things and they bumble around. So like I talked about last month, Buddha's steady delusion. We don't try to avoid our delusion. We actually study our delusion. That's what makes a Buddha a Buddha or not really makes you a Buddha, but that's Buddha activity to study delusion. Now, interestingly, the Japanese word that is translated in this poem as study, um, this is now from Shohaku, is narao, 
which comes from nareru, which means get used to, become familiar with, become intimate with. And the upper part of the Chinese character is the wings of a bird. So Shohaku suggests that we study the self the way that a baby bird would study flying from its parents. This is not an intellectual thing. It's not study like crack open the books. It's study like really become intimate with the way that you show up in the world. The way that a baby bird would study flying, it, it's, not, it's, it's in the body, it's in action. So how do we do this? Well, you know, we do it all the time. Um, we study our delusion. That's really the main way to study our ourself. It's like, what are you attached to? What plugs you in? Who do you think you are? What stories do you tell in your head about who you are and how you're supposed to be? What are your conditioned, our conditioned patterns of reaction? What are the ways that we create difficulty for ourselves and others because of this view that we have that we're this solid, independent, separate self that somehow is not connected to the rest of the world, but that moves around in its own orbit. Becoming intimate with all of our habits, all of our conditioning, all of these difficulties, this is what it means to study the self, to become intimate with this tendency, this natural human tendency that we have. So then, you know, the second line is interesting because in a lot of, uh, you know, maybe philosophical traditions or other religions, we study the self for self-improvement, right? That's one of the biggest categories of books and podcasts that we have. Self-improvement. We want to improve this self. In, in, the, in the Buddha way, we don't study the self to improve it. We study it. Now, one of the translations is to study the self is to forget the self. I have a friend, uh, her name is Connie, and she is a longtime practitioner and a lover of nature and is now apprenticing to uh, traditional ways um, in the Southwest. And she actually gave me um, an interpretation of this line that I, I actually prefer to forgetting the self. She says, see, uh, see through the self go beyond the self. So to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to see through the self, to go beyond the self. Because what happens if we study the self, I mean, maybe you've done this during Zazen, you've gotten curious about your mind, like what is this thing? What is this? I remember, you know, a long time ago in, in some of my first machines, I just would get so tired of that radio station in my head. Would somebody please turn it off? Who's, who's got, you know, who's in control of this thing? And when I realized it was me, of course, that was a big revelation. So, you know, if you study yourself, maybe that voice starts getting a little less certain and a little less solid it starts to dissolve a little bit. It starts to break up. It doesn't necessarily only happen in Zazen. It could happen through any kind of inquiry or therapy 
or um, exploration, what you thought was so certain, you begin to question, oh, maybe, maybe that's not really so. Or you realize maybe that some habit that you have, it's actually you didn't, you, you inherited it. You didn't think it up. Maybe you learned it from your somebody from your family way or for something in your culture. And when you really look at it, you go, that, that's not me. That's not mine. Or um, you start noticing a pattern. And rather than believing what you think, you start seeing it just as a pattern, as a habit reaction. And so you start considering, what would it be to, as Kosho Uchiyama says, open up the hand of thought and relax this certainty that we, that we, that we have in our, our interpretive way. We think that, you know, the separate self thinks its thoughts are permanent. I must believe this because I am this kind of person. But we're not the same people that we were 10, 15, 20 years ago, or even last week, if you really pay attention. If you're evolving, we're not solid at all. So this self that seems so solid is something that actually the closer we look and the more we can relax and open up a space in our mind, we can actually begin to forget or go beyond this self. That's the second line. And that in and of itself is a beautiful practice. After you've put some attention on this self, see if you can relax it and go beyond it. I, I have found in my own sitting that uh, the more and longer and many the years of sitting and studying the self is I, my heart has softened so much for other people, you know, because um, when you really, really look closely at your own suffering, then it's not that hard to realize, oh, you know, everybody has some kind of suffering. So these others that seem so solid and so real, when we're really, really studying our own suffering, our own sense of separate self, we realize this is a shared condition that we all have. And then we begin to relax about others as well. Bokusan Nishiari said, um, people say they cannot arouse bodhi-seeking mind or can't hold the Buddha Dharma in hand, that is because they have a certain view. If you want to pour sake into a sake bottle that is already filled with water, you can't pour it in no matter how hard you try. Similarly, if you hold onto your own views of self, the Dharma can't get in. Can't get into your sake bottle if you're already full of <laughs> of what you think, you know. <laughs> Similarly, if you hold on to your old views of self, the Dharma can't get in. If you surrender and throw your entire body into the Buddha's house, this practice of walking, abiding, sitting, and lying down is done from the side of the Buddha. And, you know, we could extend that to say, um, you know, throw your entire body into the Buddha's uh, house by parenting, by coming to a Zoom meeting, by showing up at work, by being present for the others in your field. All of these are ways that we can practice 
as um, Nietzscheari says, from the side of the Buddha. So to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget or go beyond the self, which is really about entering, uh, being willing to enter the realm of not knowing, which can be rather uncomfortable. It's not something that um, our, our society at least is, is uh, likes very much. We really like to have our time filled. We like to have our lists. We like to be checking our phones all the time. We like to know what's happening. We like to be entertained. We get pretty nervous if, if we don't know what is happening or even who we are or what's gonna happen next. So this is, a, this is a radical and a brave practice to intentionally open and turn towards um, not knowing. However, when we do that, there's a beautiful and wonderful thing that happens, which is we become available to be present with the vaster reality of the myriad things. So the third line, um, when we forget the self, when we go beyond the self, we are then actualized by the myriad things. And this is a line, if you have come to my talks over the years, you'll know I, I love this line. And I've given many talks about this idea, this experience of being actualized by the myriad things. Meaning that our experience of our life isn't just curated by our thoughts about what we think, but that we're actually open to receive, to respond to the greater reality. And this could be the greater reality of humans, or it could be the more than human realm. And um, I've often talked about it in terms of the natural world. So I won't go on too much about that because um, I've done that a lot in the past, uh, but one can certainly, um, consider that the more than human realm, the natural world is a phenomenal practice place to be actualized by the myriad things, to have direct contact, um, participatory consciousness with trees, with rocks, with waters, with mountains. Now, uh, uh, an example that Uchiyama gives, which is really practical and really actually mundane, which I thought is a really, really good example. If you're going, well, what is this being actualized by the myriad things? Yeah, yeah, I know Kathy talks about going out and listening to the trees and the ravens and all that. Well, what about, you know, if I don't do that? So Uchiyama says, think about it like driving a car. You know, maybe when you first start driving a car, you're really, really like, uh-oh, first gear, second gear, brakes, you know, uh, you know, moving your feet between the, the clutch and the brake, or if you have an automatic transmission, just, you know, how do you, how do you keep your car from sliding down when you're parked on a hill? And there's so many details that we have to remember, pedestrians and stoplights. And yet after a while, it becomes more automatic. In fact, we don't want to always be just so intensely focused on all the details because really, what makes you a good driver is that you're able to perceive and respond to the entire field of everything that is happening. And, and that's what Uchiyama suggests is another way to think about this um, invitation 
to be actualized by the myriad things. He says, driving is not done by thinking. We don't think about what we should do every moment. When we actually drive, the scenery, the constantly changing scenery is the content of ourselves. We forget about ourselves and we operate these various devices with our hands and our feet in response to the changing scenery, which I actually enjoy driving. And I don't know, maybe some of you do. That's one of the things I enjoy about driving is that feeling of just moving through space and being in this responsive movement with this ever-changing scenery. So that's another way to think about being actualized by the myriad things. Uh, another example that I thought of was, you know, we haven't done the in-person sashines for a while. So looking forward to when we can do that again, maybe this fall, maybe late summer, I don't know, we'll see. But, you know, we have roles. And one of the main ceremonies that we do in the Sashins is how we eat together. And as you know, there's a serving crew, there's somebody in charge of the serving crew called the Soku who manages the choreography of this serving in which food is given and received and eaten. And um, I was talking one time with somebody who had was training to be a Soku, the head server. And at first, if you've ever done that, it's, it can be really overwhelming and you, you have this checklist and you follow it. Okay, do this, do that, take in the meal boards. Okay, now take in the Buddha tray. Now take in the first pot, take off the lid. And it's very, very, seems very, very linear and very circumscribed and, and, and so it is. But when you start getting more comfortable with it, you actually, it's like Uchiyama and driving. You just are moving in response to the assembly, and what your body knows needs to happen. So the, a person who had was newly learning how to be a Soku, I wrote this down because I thought that it was so beautiful. She said, you know, at first I was all worried that I was going to miss something, but after I had done the job for a while and I had got some correction and feedback from the senior people, I just began to have this experience that all I really needed to do was feel the room and I knew what to do. So maybe in some of our other kinds of work or art, we have this experience where as we get more practiced, we're not thinking so much and we're just being with the room, being with the energy, being with the needs and responding without uh, thinking. So that could also be called being actualized by the myriad things. So then the next line, when actualized by the myriad things, mind and body of self and other drops away. And what this just means is that there's no separation. Like in that situation I was describing of the, 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 the meal, um, there's no separation between giving and receiving. We have this beautiful line that we say in our meal chant, uh, may we all know the emptiness of the three wheels, giver, receiver, and gift. And this is true in our intimate relationships as well with each other, that beautiful feeling that we can have when the giver 
is the giver because there is a receiver. And there's this flow of giving and receiving and enjoying the gift together of our shared lives. No separation. This is um, one way to understand mind and body of self and other drops away. Shinjin Datsuraku is the phrase that Dogen uses to mean dropping off of body and mind. And it's said that that came from his teacher, Rujing. So that was an experience that he had a teaching directly from his teacher who used that term and it was greatly moving to Dogen. Uh, Shinjin Datsuraku. Datsu means take off, slough, and raku means cast off, fall down. And shinjin is body-mind. So body-mind sloughs off. You know, body-mind is drops away. And the separation drops away. So um, Shohaku writes this, this beautiful passage about this. He says, throughout our lives, we wear different kinds of clothing that we identify ourselves with in our various roles. But when we sit facing the wall and let go of thought, we take off all this clothing. In Zazen, I am not a Japanese Buddhist priest. I am neither Japanese nor American. In Zazen, we are neither rich nor poor, neither man nor woman. We are neither deluded beings nor enlightened Buddhas. We are just as we are. In Zazen, we take off our clothing and become the naked self. This is body and mind of self and other drops away. And when this happens, the last line is actually two, two sentences. No trace of realization remains. And this no trace continues endlessly. Catherine wrote, no trace of enlightenment remains on my priest Rakasu. When you get a Rakasu, the teacher often writes a little verse. When I had my first Rakasu, my lay Rakasu, she wrote, here is the place, here the way unfolds, which is coming up in the Genjo Koan and was one of my first turning words in Zen. When I heard that, I just I went, oh, I get it. Here is the place. Here the way unfolds. So by the time I got priest ordained, Catherine seemed to think that what I needed to focus on was no trace of enlightenment remains. And maybe she wrote that for me because she knows that I tend to grasp onto things. <laughs> and she was reminding me, uh, don't even attach to any idea of enlightenment. You know, don't think you're somebody just because you're, you're getting ordained. We're, we're actually, we're, the ones who are most enlightened are the, one, are the ones who uh, are least apt to go around with the placard that says, I'm enlightened. We know enlightenment and awakening through the behaviors of a person, not through their um, attachment, even to the state that everybody seems to 
want to attain. Nothing special. This was this was a huge teaching of Catherine's. Um, you know, I've, I've said before that when I asked her, how should I train to be a priest? She said, just shovel the compost. Just, no, she said, just keep showing up and shovel the compost. So no trace uh, of enlightenment remains. But then this interesting final uh, sentence, and I really only re just this time around started to ponder about this. And maybe it's something that we can talk about in a few minutes, those that want to stay and uh, talk a little bit more about some of these things and how they look in our lives. He says, no trace of realization remains and this no trace continues endlessly. How can no, no trace continue endlessly? Doesn't that mean it's a thing if it continues endlessly? And here we've just gotten built up to recognize that no trace remains. What is that? So Shohaku said, um, it's like how the path of passing birds can later be seen by other birds of the same kind. You know, when birds migrate, they follow the same path. They, they know where to go. And Shohaku is suggesting maybe this um, no trace continues endlessly is something like that. Or he says, maybe it's like how bodhisattvas can sense each other's aspiration and presence. Maybe it's the way that we sense the support of the ancestors, be they our Zen ancestors or great ancestors of other traditions and ways. So that's that's something that we might we might consider. Um, what 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 do you think that means, and what might be examples of that? But basically, um, to close this, um, what I would just say is that this. Um, this encouragement to recognize that there's no goal, that it is the path, that it is, as Dogen called it, practice enlightenment, this ever uh, non-ending um, pathless path of presencing ourselves as much as we can in every moment of our life, that that is the heart of this Genjo Koan teaching. Practicing in order to express reality, we see that practice and realization are one. We might approach practice as the means and enlightenment as the reward, but realization is only manifested within the process of practice moment by moment. So thank you for listening. And I really do encourage to, to um, study this set of ancient um, instructions. It's the whole of the Buddha Dharma and it certainly is the, um, the, the seed and the center of our Zen Buddhist tradition. So I will um, close the formal part of the talk uh, now and we'll have a few announcements. And then if you are so inclined and you wish to stay around, I will stay around and we can continue to explore these lines and how you uh, relate to them or any questions that you might have 
about this section that we've been talking about from the Genjo Koan. So join me, if you will, in uh, chanting the Bodhisattva vows to close the talk. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Patrick, do you